Thanks for joining us for another intriguing edition of the Stack Pack. Perhaps you can help solve a mystery. That's right, guys. It's the Stack Pack. We're back for another episode. We're covering season four, episode 11. Sorry we haven't been as regular as we uh, normally have been. We haven't been eating our fiber, if you know what I mean. Yeah, we haven't been regular. Our bowel, bowel <laughs> movements are fucked, y'all. But we're here, and we are going to talk about some old 90s true motherfucking crime. Uh, I'm David Howell, as always, joined by Rodan. What's up, dude? Currently currently home, Dan. Home, Dan, for the current time being. And um, Eli couldn't join us today, but next week we got an episode with the original three. But we have a delightful guest. What's up, our good friend, Mr. Ryan Gooding? What's up, buddy? Doing good. How are you guys today? We're good. And we all watched this episode before, and we're all primed and ready and lubed. Yep, we are. <laughs> to talk about some murder um yeah well okay first words there's the li- is is there murder actually i don't even know if there's any possibly questionable <sighs> questionable who knows? Murder. yeah it's, it's mostly a lot of like intriguing cases with some questionable murder on the side yeah we'll, we'll say the murder's left to interpretation usually we're in it for the murder but um today yeah no murder proven um we're gonna start with the crazy weird lost love suicide until proven murder uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's something we've talked about before. We'll, we'll get to it. That's later. So this first case, we're going to be talking about dual Barbaras. Barbaras. The tale of two barbs. I yeah. feel like this is some of the most wholesome stuff they've put out. Well, because there's a good uh, ending. Well, spoiler alert, but yeah, it's fine. Um, But yeah, anyway, so basically we're told the story of uh, Barbara Smith Reed that's her married name she was born in July of 1940 she grew up in uh, the LA California area in the 40s so BSR for short right uh what's that BSR Barbara Smith Reed yeah we'll call her BSR we gotta get because there, there's two barbs there's it's gonna bad. get very confusing it, it, very it, it's, quickly. It, it's gonna get very confusing tale of two barbs um so <laughs> when she was five some asshole classmate said you're adopted my mom said so you fucking suck like, <laughs> it, it, was pretty, it was pretty it was pretty brutal it, it, it's like those like when you see bullies in movies like bullies aren't really like that in real life they're mean in different ways like for my childhood experiences like they never say like you have a dead mom fuck you like it never gets it never gets that it, it's direct. usually it's never that direct it's, it's usually just like hey how's your mom doing oh wait your real mom you oh, know like something like that you don't have a mom it's usually something subtle like oh like those jeans are girl jeans and not boy jeans. i mean it was definitely it was definitely spiffed up for the you know yeah wait are you making a a a, a diss towards me? Or did you ever oh, wear girl jeans, no, Ryan? No. Yeah. I, once or twice in my life. <laughs> no, I remember in sixth grade, I had uh, like... Girl jeans for life. Do you guys remember Lee Pipes? We were emos. Like back before Jinko jeans were like around, there was like Lee Pipes. <laughs> I only wear Jinkos until this day. <laughs> Flamehead fam. Before it was Jinkos and K-Glow, you had like this one brand called Lee Pipes. And I remember in sixth grade, this kid like fucking bullied me because like they were totally boy pants, but... It was also like the same style that the unisex. Yeah, they were like unisex like pants, and so you were, just fucking gave me shit for it. So you're wearing your pants were non-binary. Yeah, and in the end, he ended up. <laughs> funny story. In the end, he is now a a she. Oh, so he was working through some things. She, sorry, I gotta respect. The well, only, I don't know. The only thing I remember about Lee is that when we were on hard times and we couldn't shop at like the nicer like JC Penney's, we had to go to Kmart, and that's what they had it was Lee instead of Wranglers. Yeah, Lee. Uh, yeah, and then and you would think like, oh, these are good because it's Levi, you know. But no, that's Levi. Levi are the good ones. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so anyway, you got mad for not having the right jeans, but Barbara <laughs> was told that she was fucking adopted by some little brat. <laughs> <laughs> so she ran home crying. She was really upset. And then her parents like had to like call in the doctor to like who like in what in what t- like in what period do you like call in the doctor to like solve your family issues? Yeah, it's like, like emotional family <laughs> problems. Like nothing Bring medical. in the doc. <laughs> well, I think maybe like their parents were just like, well, you know, this doctor like 
birthed or in like, I, I, I get that, but in what maybe modern times learn. do you go, we have issues, bring in the doc. Like, yeah. hey, <laughs> hey, back in this day, they did not have like psychologists. I get it. Or, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a times thing, you know. Or, or what was the do- the Lipschitz, the, the book in uh, the Rugrats, Rugrats? Dr. Lipschitz? Yeah, oh, God, <laughs> they didn't have Dr. Phil to watch on TV to interview the brothers and sisters and there's and no family Maury. members of serial killers. <laughs> So they bring in this doctor to talk to this five-year-old who's questioning. Yeah, and the doctor's name is Dr. Sultan, the Sultan of SWAT. Oh, man. The face, this guy's fucking facial expressions in the reenactment are fucking scary. Yeah, he, he, he could, you can tell that this guy was like, I'm acting in a scene with a child, and I, I, I don't know I how to talk to children in real life. I may on a uh, registered sex offenders list, so let's just uh, play this cool guy. No, I, I wasn't getting that vibe. It was like somebody who's n- who's not usually around children because they were talking to them like an alien. He was talking to her like, <laughs> like an, an alien. alien. Uh, <laughs> what, what, what is that app that they had on uh, SNL uh, last week about talking to, to kids? <laughs> oh, yeah. It was like some – it was like a um, – what's like the – a thing that they help you teach to learn other languages, like uh, it oh, was like Rosetta? Ros- yeah, Rosetta Stone. It was like Rosetta Stone for talking to kids because <laughs> they just had Kristen Stewart play like a lady who just couldn't interact with her friends' children. <laughs> it was pretty funny, but yeah, that's what we do on Stack Pack. We talk about unsolved mysteries and recap SNL sketches. We always <laughs> fucking do that. We like comedy. It's just so much meta. I don't, uh, I don't know what meta means. So <laughs> clearly. <laughs> Uh, it's the dope dope I think it's about hydroponics it's, it's, it's hydroponics it has something about God, hooked on phonics so this guy talks to her and says I delivered you and your father died in World War II right yeah yeah, and your mother died in childbirth yeah so he just gave her this whole BS or this whole story about your parents died and she doesn't buy it well Okay, doesn't this seem like something you would say as an adult, like something you remember as a kid? Like, well, I never thought that they were dead. So in this reenactment, she's like laying on the bed with her, I guess, adopted father. Well, well before we like, get to that, well, before we get to that, so like the doctor tells her this, and she says she's like, I don't think so. Like, I don't think that's true, or something like along the lines. And the doctor's like looks at her, and is like. Well, how about you sleep on it? Good night. And just, yeah. just like, let's just say it's a very, very <laughs> clear point of view for a five-year-old. Like, I can't remember what happened last week, but yeah, yeah this like forty-year-old woman can remember what happened to her in this conversation and very so explicitly. Sure. Yeah, like very explicitly. Like, it's just so funny. Like the daughter's like, "Well, try it. I'm out." Like, good night. <laughs> and then, and then before, and then when it cuts to the dad talking to her. It, 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 but before that, he he starts off by saying everyone's god. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is the 1940s. Things are a little bit more brutal, but you know that everyone is gone. And then the little girl's like, "I just don't believe that." Like spunky as hell, fucking spunky, punky Brewster <laughs> over here with her little uh, stuffed uh, bear. I don't know the confidence. I don't know. And maybe it's the acting or the. It, I it, yeah, I get what you mean. It just, it just, just felt it, a little bit too reassured for a five-year-old's perspective, like. 40 year old, you know, 40 years later. So when she's a teenager, her father gives her these uh, adoption papers and lets her look at them. And that's when she finds out that her mom's name is Virginia Victoria. You wish Virginia because it rhymes with vagina. Oh, uh, that would be good. Victoria Baumgartner. Baumgartner. Not Baumgartner because it made us all laugh and that's how they pronounce it. <laughs> we giggled. Oh, that's... Sorry, that was a bad little school girl laugh. That was not. That was nightmarish. You thought you sounded like a little school girl. <laughs> From the ring. <laughs> it sounded like fucking... <laughs> Bun garment. Baumgarten Bumgarter? Bumgarner. Bumgarner. I feel like you you need to have like a northeastern like accent to properly like enunciate this. Bungama. Like like (laughs) an accent from Maine. Yeah, there you go. It's spelled Baumgartner, but I think that's the way that it's supposed to be pronounced, Baumgartner. But when you say it fast, it does say like Bumgarter. Garden bums. So she saw her mom's name on the adoption papers, and that's and she saw that her mom signed it, and the adoption papers didn't say anything about her dying during childbirth. She signed the papers, the you know the sorry, not the adoption papers, but the birth. Was oh no, birth they were the they were yeah. the adoption papers. Yeah. 
So the only thing she had of her mother was this signature. So she gets engaged to a gentleman named Steve Reed. They loved each other. And she was very pretty. She was a very beautiful young woman. Um, and she immediately met this dude who she was going to mar- get married get married to. And then um, this is when things get interesting. One day when they were visiting their friend named Pi Ratner. Talk about a proper 1940s and 50s, 50s name. That like. guy, yeah. Pi Ratner sings. Or like, or he sounds like that's definitely like a saxophone, like a solo, some sort of brass solo jazz instrument. I'm not going to lie. That's a classy as fuck name. Pi Ratner. I don't know. Ladies I, and gentlemen, like Pi Ratner on the saxophone. That, that, I like it. I like it. Yeah, it's a good one. Ms. Baumgartner and Pi Ratner. So they go to their friend Pi's house. They go to Mr. Ratner's abode. Oddly enough, they go to Pi's house to have a slice of pie. And guess what day it was? It was March the 14th. Wow. Boom. Math joke. It's the only one you'll ever get from me, motherfuckers. <laughs> okay. So they go over and uh, Barbara, one, notices a painting of a woman on the uh, mantel and, it's a painting of Pi's sister. Yeah, and Pi is like, that's my sister, Barbara. Wait, just real quick, do you actually think they had that painting, like, recreated? Or was that just some, like, ah, we found it at the dollar store? Oh, I'm sure <laughs> Pi. Oh, that was totally purchased at, a, at an estate sale. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For the reenactment, that is. I'm it, sure. I mean, it looks like her, but at the same time, it's like, eh, when the, you get into, like, those, like, oil, like, paintings, it just all looks well, the same. Well, they did use... Let's assume that they didn't go... They never go too far with the uh, um, <laughs> reenactment, with the budget, or with the, you know, <laughs> the things in the background. Like, everybody in, in this reenactment is but it wearing... it does look the, like her, though. It does. Have, have you ever heard this term, uh, we own a budget? <laughs> um, also, everybody in this reenactment is wearing the uh, costumes from a high school production of Bye Bye Birdie. <laughs> I like um, the neck scarf. <laughs> but anyway, so. Who's um, going steady? So this sister is painted on the wall, and Pi is like, Yeah, that's my sister. You look exactly alike. And well, she says she notices, like, Wow, that painting looks like me. And then who comes downstairs is Barbara, too. And they're introduced, and they hit it off. I mean, first of all, they um, were dating best friends. That helped. So this du- dual couple, these two couples became inseparable. Um, so this lady's name is Barbara Ratner Basanti. And they did describe so themselves as like, like almost like they had known each other their whole lives. Like it was just like an instant connection where they knew. Yeah, that, they couldn't yeah, explain. Exactly. So they became best friends and oddly enough married – best friends like their husbands actually were best friends to each other so it's like best friends marrying best friends so it's friends on friends <laughs> so it's barbs on barbs and friends on friends yeah like they became they raised their children together they were both aunt barbara to each other's children because they're both barbaras and um yeah it was it was great. <laughs> the, the, the parallels in this story are just like it, the Barbara. It's weird. It, all right, yeah. All right. Now you guys ready for shit to get weirder? It is some Twin Peaks doppelganger. <laughs> doppelganger. Some Twin Peaks shit with a dash, a slight dash of fucking X-Files shit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Oh, my gosh. So, wait, 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 wait. Sorry. The Unsolved Mysteries wiki says the guy's name was High Ratner. High, like he was high. Yeah, you know, Damn, honestly, there goes all our good jokes. Honestly, no. Well, well <laughs> I'm high right now. Honestly, I, I I don't know whether to believe the uh, the cl- closed captions on the <laughs> unsolved mysteries. I'm high because on pie. because they put like they like stick two words together and sometimes and it, it's not perfect. So I, I would actually kind of more believe the the wiki. <laughs> but anyway, it doesn't matter. So Barbara Smith, first Barbara, she had told her friend Barbara that she was adopted. And um, Barbara Ratner did not know that she was actually adopted as well. When, so is that, what, what do we call her, BRG? So there's BRB. There's BRB and then there's BSR. Yeah. So, okay. So in 1966, when BRB, the second Barbara that we just met, when her mom passed away, when she was searching through all these papers... She found out that she was adopted. She didn't know the shit at all. She was very, very surprised. Uh, and the one thing she could find out was that her mom's last name was Baumgartner. 
just like Barbara BRS. No, no, just like, God damn it, the just other like one. BSR. <laughs> so, so BRB discovered that her birth mother had the same last name as BSR. Yeah, yeah. And so they. And also, coincidentally enough, they also had the same doctor that also birthed them. So. After she finds these adoption papers and she's super shocked, she calls up um, the other Barbara, her friend, and says, hey, I just found out I'm adopted, and I'm, what'd you say, I'm baby Baumgartner. And um, and the other Barbara is like... Oh, yeah, because her, her adoption papers uh, stated that um, the mother was uh, gave birth, previously gave birth to a healthy baby girl that had no... Yeah. Oh, no yeah. Medical history. So, like, she called and she's like, because she doesn't immediately think of Barbara until yeah. that, and then uh, BSR is like, hold up, and then she calls. She gets in touch with uh, Doctor Sultan, and Doctor Sultan is able to. I mean, one thing he's at least able to do is confirm that they are actually sister and sister, sister sister. <laughs> Tia and Timon. Tia and Timon. I don't know. What? Tia and Tamara. <laughs> wow. Tia Tia Bowery and Timon the the fucking cute little muskrat like from the, the Meerkat, from Meerkat. I would watch that fucking show. Um The Adventures of Tia and Timon. Tia and Timon. That's the best. Um yeah, so they're sisters. BRS like, like said that she was telling the kids like I'm your aunt, but I'm really your aunt. And they looked at her like she was fucking like, crazy. And she giggles nuts. it off. She giggles it off. Bitch it's nice. nuts. So Dr. Sultan still wouldn't tell them anything about their actual mom. And then uh, he actually died in 1989 and apparently burnt all the records just for good measure. No, see, this like, is this is where it gets a little bit too crazy. Like this doctor is going in and just completely erasing records just to make sure that his friends are covered. I don't know. Just to make sure that these Poor ladies can't find out shit about their mom. Yeah, like, well, that's a very devoted I'm gonna doctor. die, so I'm just gonna destroy all this shit. <laughs> like, who cares? So, um, they they say that Doctor Sultan was also close to BRS's like adopted family, and, and apparently his patient would have been the mom, and he's supposed to protect you know doctor patient confidentiality, whatever. Yeah. So it's a bunch of bullshit. So these, uh, so the two barbs, they contact the Children's Home Society of California, and then they learned that their mom was 23 when she gave birth um, um, to BRS, and then they arranged her for her adoption. And then 15 months later, she went back to the same doctor and because she was pregnant and arranged another adoption for Barbara Ratner. It's creepy how much similarities are happening. But, like, they're 15 minutes apart. You know, they grew up in the exact same town. And they were saying that even, like, their childhood outfits were kind of similar. It's, yeah. The, the, both mothers were Rose. Is it, there's just too many too many things happening here. Yeah. It's like they were destined to meet. Actually, there was kind of – didn't we cover a similar case? Like, were those two uh, – there was these two, like, fat, uh, bearded – Oh, beer yeah, drinking brothers. bald men that like met like um they were part of like the Elks Club or something like that. You know what this reminds me yeah. of? Uh, kind of a weird, I don't know, history buff here, but when when you compare the JFK assassination with the Lincoln assassination, oh, there's yeah, yeah. so many crossovers between like, you know, the assassinator and the president at the time that it's just it's a creepy coincidence. And this kind of falls into the same category where there's like so many it's weird like crossovers Kennedy happening. Kennedy was killed in a Lincoln. Yeah, and there's like in a, like in, you know, a theater and and you know, it was just and Lincoln was killed in a Kennedy? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, these Lincoln bitches was be- killed in a Ford. <laughs> <laughs> these bitches, that's good. Anyway, these ladies be looking for a mama. Damn, that is kind of fucked up. Kennedy was killed in the Lincoln, and Lincoln was killed in the Ford. Lincoln, theater. yeah, he was killed in the Ford theater. But what does that have to do with Kennedy? Yeah. Uh, anyway, so they actually found their mom. It doesn't give us much info. Um, uh, I did a little quick. Uh, research. When I say a little quick research, I, I Wikipedia it. Can I get some update music, please? <laughs> Solved. Several viewers led the women to their birth mother, Victoria Bumgarner, 
uh, and they did reunite, but however, uh, because she hadn't told anyone about having two children prior to being married, she did not consent to having their reunion to being on the broadcast. However, all three women thank viewers for allowing them to finally meet. Sadly, BSR passed away December 28th, 2013. That's the uh, the heavier lady? Yeah. yeah. Can, can I just say can I just say one thing? And I know that everything's a little bit political, you know, politically correct right now, but this woman had a child, put her up for adoption, 15 months like like obviously you're like I can't take care of this child. Like you have to come to a certain point where you're like I cannot take care of my child. Like I need to put them up for adoption. Like someone else needs to take care of my child. Okay? I understand that. And then 15 months later you're like okay, I have a child. I need to put them for, you know, like, it's just like, I understand there are certain circumstances in life that put you in a situation where it's like things happen. I understand. My mother is adopted, you know, but 15, like you, that's a pretty huge thing in your life to be like, I birthed this child. They're a part of my life. I need to give this child up for uh, someone else to take care of them. And then like 15 months later, you're like, Holy shit. All right, here we go again. Round two. Yeah, you know, it's just, that's a little bit irresponsible on her, on the mom's part. I'm just saying. In the words of the immortal Britney Spears, oops, I did it again. I guess that's how it happened. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, she seems like she, yeah, it's like, okay, well, it's, it's, on, it's weird. It's like, it's on Unsolved Mysteries. Your kids are going to know now. Like, just <laughs> why not? Like, what? what's Your the difference of it now being knows. on? Yeah, what's the difference of it being televised or I, not? Yeah. I just feel like the mom wasn't, I don't know. <clears throat> yeah. She seemed like maybe she wasn't that good of a person. I don't know. Anyway, uh, next case. That was a cool Lost Loves because it was kind of trippy. That was a pretty insane case. Uh, you know what's pretty interesting, though, guys? Is... um. The episode that we're covering today originally aired on November 27th of 1991. So we're pretty close, at least uh, we're a couple days away. We're on November 24th. And actually, on that point, I also want to say that today is D.B. Cooper Day. Uh, We've covered D.B. Cooper. And I think, does that mean it's the anniversary of the flight? I think think it is. Um, But happy D.B. Cooper. Uh, it's Sunday the 24th. I'm going to put this episode out on Monday the 25th. So close enough. <laughs> close <laughs> enough to mention. Yeah, but this next case is pretty interesting. Well, what I wanted to say is I wanted to congratulate our, our listeners, our dedicated listeners, in helping us solve 100 cases. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> you guys. That's another thing at the beginning of this episode. Stack mentions that with the help of viewers like you um, 29 years ago. 28 years ago, sorry, that they solved over 100, well, 100 cases. So this next case is an unexplained death, and we're going to be talking about a mysterious case about this Marine. His name was Jeffrey Digman. Um, Ever since he was a little boy, he wanted to be a Marine. It's kind of weird how they start off the story, because right out of the gate, they show, like, a photo of, like, a small child, and you instantly think, just like, damn, like, this Marine killed a child, like, whoa. Or or the story's going to be about, like, a child that was killed, but, nah, he grew up before he got killed, so it's all right. Or before he died. So ever since, yeah, since he was a little kid, he wanted to be a Marine, so... So in June of 88, he was, you know, he's a successful captain. It was, he was doing pretty good. So him and another officer um, bought a house together. They put their money in and they bought a house. They were stationed in San Diego, so they just decided to get a house. Um, four months later, this is November 1st of 88, he actually gets transferred to Puerto Rico. According to his friends, he really didn't want to do this. He was not into the move, but he reluctantly uh, went and he settled in, and he found a cool girlfriend, Lucy Garcia. She was an accountant for the base, and uh, he seemed to like her a lot. So right after Christmas of 88, he returns home to San Diego so he can spend a couple weeks there. He spends about two weeks at his home, and he's scheduled to go back on January 22nd of 1989. So this was Super Bowl Sunday, and this is an important um, thing to note because his neighbor at halftime remembers seeing that uh, – Digman returned home. So his roommate was out of town with his girlfriend. So that's why, you know, they saw a car come home. So um, around 6 p.m., 
neighbors heard what they thought was a car backfiring. But let's just say, this is unsolved mysteries. It's not, yeah. Um, and four hours later, 10 p.m., his roommate returns with his girlfriend to find Jeffrey's car still there. And he's kind of, uh, he's confused by this because Jeffrey was supposed to leave like 15 minutes. You know, he was supposed to be up in the sky like 15 minutes before he got home. So he thought it was suspicious and weird. And um, so he goes over to the, I don't know. This is where... Yeah, this is where it definitely gets weird. He goes over to the neighbor's house to say, hey, I have a... You know, there's something weird going on. I... I don't there's, know. There's a light on. There's a garage door. There's a car there. My, my, you know, he's supposed to be, my roommate was supposed to be gone 15 minutes ago and there's a light on. So neighbor, come please help me. Like in modern well, day, do you really go grab your neighbor to help like check out like a, a very, what I see is a minor suspicion. But don't you think, I mean, okay, so he's supposed to be at the airport. So he's supposed to be, he's supposed to leave I mean, two hours, maybe like two hours and 15 get minutes canceled, ago. canceled. Things happen. Yeah. You're going to go call your neighbor to go help you check out your own house house like yeah, i mean that is suspicious like, like i mean they and also say, being a marine like how like, many times have you gone over to your neighbor's house and been like help me with my life you know yeah. what i mean like, well, like no can't just you... not that like yeah, they said like they pulled little... up and they thought it was suspicious so he calls his neighbors like if you thought it was suspicious you call the cops yeah. or you call your neighbor like, you just, if you want an alibi to say like oh your house you just walk in your house to see well this is a little bit interesting what's going on here like, instead of like calling people like you're a grown-ass man figure it yeah, out yeah i mean i the only thing i can think of is like okay like he's a marine so um if he if he's not where he's supposed to be like there's pretty big consequences but yeah like at the same time there could be a billion different factors yeah, i of mean why like, i'm just saying would, like someone pulls up to your house yeah. you know like you're, you're just not gonna naturally go to a neighbor's house to figure out what's going on here <laughs> yeah and i actually think this might be a, a real good point so anyway, the the neighbor reluctantly, sort I guess, sort of just agrees to come over and look around with him, and um, they're checking the rooms, and you know he's saying sorry, it's just weird, he just he shouldn't be here. So you know they're checking the upstairs, and from the reenactment, it looks like the neighbor opens the door and finds uh, Digman dead, laying on the bed. Apparently, he shot himself. Apparently, suicide. From the reenactment, it does look like the neighbor finds him, but we don't know. Um, and of course the parents do not think that he did, that he killed himself. The dad's like very adamant. Like, I never believed that for a second that he killed himself, but you know, like we've covered this before. A lot of these cases just might be, you know, parents that can't deal with the fact that their child might have taken their own life. And it's super sad, but it, you know, it's, uh, there are some factors that might back up what he says. The links they go to prove this are pretty wild though. I yeah. Mean. <laughs> Definitely like rearranging furniture. I mean, you know, you go into like, yeah, all this well, I mean, yeah, like Ryan was saying, they, you know, of course it's ruled a suicide and they thought it wasn't a suicide. So the parents hire their own investigators. They grab the furniture from his apartment. Yeah, they actually get the actual furniture from his place, rearrange it in their own home. I mean, like the room isn't even small enough to accommodate it. So they literally rearrange the furniture to fit exactly the measurements of what his room was. Yeah. And then they hire a That's private investigation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they, they. I mean, obviously, his family. They want to know if something doesn't seem right. They want to figure out what's going on. It makes sense. So they hire this private investigator to like set up the like trajectory of the shot, and they have like this twine. It's just like in their like loft on their second. It's like floor. you know how they do it modern day with like lasers. Yeah. How they set up all the trajectory of the bullets and everything. But you know, obviously, 1990s. They're setting up just you know rope yarn. <laughs> yeah, yarn. And, <laughs> and how accurate can that be? Like they just have it tied it's off. Better to- than nothing, right? Though. Yeah, I don't it's know. It's better than just like we think he's a suicide. Blah. You know, if you got yeah. if you got a hunch, go with it. So he does these weird things like he's like um you know, if he the way he's laying is perfectly, you know, like if you were sitting on the on the edge of your bed and you just uh, laid down flat and your legs were still hanging over. That's how he's laying. And he says that that's just not the way it would work. No. He explained uh, so the the bullet, you know, twine that they have set up is a little slanted and they explain how his head would have to have been tilted and that they, f- another thing is um, he was left-handed and they did find gun residue on his right hand, which 
Um, he thought the dad thought is super odd. And then also the angle of the shot isn't just like a normal, no, just nothing in this scene is real. I mean, like, you know, there's obviously like little like explanations for everything, but nothing, there's so many different like variations in what's going on that just nothing seems to fit the scene. Yeah. It's like everything's explained in its own little nuance, but nothing like the whole scene itself just doesn't seem right. It, 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 it kind of, yeah. Cause He's his head is like, it, it. It's just not at the angle that you would think you would just shoot yourself and lay back down. And he's but, a you know he's a left handed and yeah. the, the, the residue's on his right hand. It's just there's the dad, so many, the dad like angles his head to like where it would be and he like he's like and he was left handed so and he like reaches around and it just looks so awkward. You're like so uncomfortable. Yeah, unless maybe he made it look like someone killed him. But obviously, and again, like everything they bring up, you can discount and you can say like, well, because of this and because of that. But there's just so many little things along the way that's just like, man, this is really starting to add up, you know? Yeah. And he also he also mentions that like if he was even shot at that angle, that he wouldn't just directly he wouldn't fall flat the way he did on the bed. Yeah, he would he kind would of maybe tumble of over. Night, he would fall forward. So the dad is not buying this, and then they kind of get into what. Uh, Digman actually did for the the Marines, and he was in charge of drug tests. It was, yeah, it was kind of a weird like job where he just literally was tasked with <laughs> testing soldiers for drug tests. He literally the soldiers would come to him, and he was like the head sergeant in charge of these drug tests. And apparently, there was a lot of drugs going. I mean, this is what his dad saying. That there was people doing drugs and drugs going on and, you know, things happening. everyone was getting popped, you people know? People were selling drugs and everybody was filling these drug tests, but nobody was getting let go. And that he, Digman did not like this, apparently. Actually, at one point, his mom says that uh, she found some papers in a safe that he had. Or there was some papers laying around that were in a safe. And apparently these papers... She asked what they were, and he said that they were proof that if, you know, in case there was some scandal, that he could prove that he was doing his job, but they just weren't letting people go is kind of what I got from it. And, uh, of course, when they got all of his stuff, this uh, uh, little green book. Oh, no. Well, there was a green book, too. So when they get to all of his stuff in the dresser, the cabinet where his safe was, just like the little cabinet just came right off the hinges, and the hinges were gone, like it had been removed. And then, um, of course, this little safe inside was not even there. So, I don't know. This is weird. It's so weird we have it paused with a picture of him just staring right at us. It's fucking freaking me out. It's because he wants us to solve this case. He wants us to solve this case, guys. And we need your help. So, what's the theory? That the Marines, they covered it up? Or... You know, what's going on? Like, or like um, they knew that he had proof that a bunch of people failed drug tests and they wanted to get rid of it. Yeah. So they because they were talking about that he had been drug testing these people and that obviously because all this stuff happened, he died, that they were afraid that someone broke into his home and actually like killed him because he knew something because he had drug tested. I mean, that's the theory, right? That he had drug tested someone and they didn't want it to get out. And so they broke into his home, killed him took the safe out of the home with all the documents that had the proof of what he had, you know, tested. And that was the whole conspiracy. And then the, uh, but that, that's what they're saying. But I think we have our own conspiracy on what actually happened. Well, let's, let's, let's talk about this green book too. I'll go a little more into this green book that Dan mentioned. So, uh, like most Marines, apparently Jeffrey owned a green book. Uh, it's like pretty much blank page green book that, you know, people use as their journal. Dear Diary, today at boot camp, my little black book. So this green book was like she noticed that the Marines like were going through his stuff and she actually handed him a bunch of books, including this green book. It was his diary, right? Yeah. And so like something of the sort. Or something close, journal, <laughs> diary, journal, whatever. Yeah. So um, she actually knows that she handed them a complete book. But um, when the family got all this stuff back... Even in the talking head, the mom shows the book that ha- it just has a good chunk a of large the pages, lump of pages, just torn out, gone. Yeah. yeah, you can see like the little page stub, you know, like in your 
composition book or what have you. Um, yeah, it's pretty. It's uh, it's weird. So a lot of anomalies. Uh, yeah. So I mean, Lucy, his girlfriend, totally remembers that that book was completely normal and full of pages. So that's making them think, yeah, he was murdered in order to be silenced, of course. So the Navy did actually, um, the Navy did actually change his death from suicide to inconclusive. And actually, in 1991, the Armed Forces Institute of Pathology reviewed his autopsy reports, and they changed the cause of death to undetermined. So that's something. And the Digmen still want to know what happened. So according to uh, Jeffrey's parents, they obviously they believe that he was killed because he knew too much about drug abuse within the Marine Corps. Um, but interestingly enough, they also think that these drugs came from his actual from his other station in Puerto Rico. And the reason they think this is because it's a checkpoint for narcotics that get imported from South America to North America by the way of the Caribbean. So they believe that this killer may have like been looking for specifically been looking for drug testing information, maybe about themselves and, um, you know, killed him to get in and took these documents from the room. Or maybe there was information that could have fucked over a lot of people and they were just doing these drugs that they seized, I guess. Okay. I say before we go all to the extremes, let's look at what normal forensic and police look at nowadays. And that's at the first people that are in contact with a person that have died. Right. So we have this weird incidence where all of a sudden the, the roommate of Jeffrey needs the neighbor just to walk into his own because they're renting this home together. Walk right? through it. Walk through a house that they own. They're renting. They're renting. Whatever it no, is. They own. They bought together. Yeah, they bought together. Right. So he needs the neighbor. He's a hmm? grown ass fucking man. <laughs> yeah. A he's marine. Like, a marine because they're both marines. They're right. okay, both so officers. So he's like, I'm a marine. I've been through all this fucking shit. I'm with my like girlfriend. I want to be a tough ass man. <laughs> There's some like. My fucking roommate was supposed to leave 15 minutes ago, and his light's on. Yeah. He's not supposed his to be here. there. His it looks like someone here. is living in this house. There's, the garage is open. He there's a car here. There's a light He was supposed to be gone maybe an hour or two ago, and there's a car and a light on. Rather than being like, oh, I wonder, you know, if, 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 if you know, he, he got... He misses flight. If he's getting shipped out a different day, if they yeah. change the flight or... Very simple yeah, yeah. things or even If you're thinking something that nefarious, why didn't he just call the cops instead of, like... Calling a neighbor for an alibi. But he immediately jumps to, okay, girlfriend, stay in the car. I'm calling the neighbor over. And from... I'm calling the neighbor. Go to the neighbor. Like, hey, some something funky is acting up at my well, house. Well, no, no. I'm, I'm saying what actually happened. And from the, the reenactment, it looks like the neighbor finds Jeffrey dead. So this old man's like, okay, I'll go walk around your your grown man's house. Yeah. You, like, you know. He, he needs to invite someone to come check out his own yeah. house with them. Instead of... I, I feel like there's two reactions. Either you're freaking out running into your own home. Yeah. Or you're, like, calling the police. Yeah, and he's it's it's weird how yeah it is weird how suspicious he is in the and then you you never get his name, so I don't know so I, I obviously like, I, I I think yeah we're we're thinking the same thing right like I feel like out of all the tr- the possible trails you could have gone on they went on these like deep like he was like drug testing people in the Caribbean whatever it was like it could be both of those things I mean though. it could be but he could be. Like, his roommate could have been one of these people affected by the, you know, results that he was keeping in this safe. I just feel like... And, went- and also, maybe there was stuff pertaining to other members that could have fucked them over. And, you know, because, like the dad said, like, people were coming out dirty, but nobody yeah. was getting fired. Yeah, no there's, some, there's, some, reprimanded. there's some weird trails, but they spent 30 minutes on that side, and they gave us not even a name or anything more than five seconds of what that neighbor and roommate what, did. You mean roommate, yeah. yeah. The roommate, I honestly think that <laughs> just from the way it's presented in the Unsolved Mysteries fashion, you know, we can't go off it too hard, but that roommate is super weird and suspicious. <laughs> um, but they, no one ever talks about that, not even on the... The parents obviously didn't even think of that, or you know, maybe just the. They, I guess they were weary of the Marines in general. But no. anyway, um, we got one more. Well, actually, shit, we got. Yeah, one. Wait. Yeah, uh, our next case is really not so much a case. Oh, the fucking <clears throat> church arson. This is good. Okay, it's like well, a notification. 
yeah, this this next uh, segment reads way more as like a uh, something from the actual like nightly news. Um, Tonight on Channel Nine News, police were searching for somebody responsible for more than twenty six church arson fires throughout the state of just Florida. Uh, these started in July of 1990 in Jackson County, and by February 91, 11 churches were hit. And then uh, by June, the total was up to 15. These fires stopped for like uh, like three months, and then October 24th of 91, the arsonists attacked a Baptist church in Ocala. And there was a couple other church fires at this time, and the damage was estimated at around $8 million dollars. So this got so bad, like, I mean, they show a map of the state of Florida and they just, like, show a little fire emoji, like, where everything was hit. And so this got so bad that they set up, like, a special task force just to catch this arsonist. Did he ever hurt anybody? They never no. say that he killed anybody. No, they said there was never actually any injuries or, like, bodily harm caused to anybody because of it. Because it was, at like, at nighttime. Probably, yeah, it was right? just, he was just literally burning churches down. The task force they set up had federal, state, and local investigators they were going all out to find this dude. And in November of 1991, the Westwood Hills Church of God was set on fire in Gainesville. This is the church that they say that like happened like hours before they got there. Yeah, like, five hours before they showed up to do some like talking heads. Unsolved mysteries, yeah. Before they went to go do the case, like a fucking church got burnt like right that day. It's super weird. So nobody was killed. No serious injuries, and the arsonists remained at large at the time of this case, that this case aired. Uh, and like I said, that was November 27th of 91. And we actually do have an update or, you know, a resolution to this case. A guy by the name of Patrick Lee Frank was arrested for this. Uh, I did a quick search, and all it said was he was released in 2008, and then there was one news article on a website called Surviving Straight Inc. that discussed how he attempted suicide in prison in 1991. Oh, wow. So, like, that was, like, right after he got caught, he tried killing himself. Yeah. So, apparently, he was just arrested. He was a Tennessee drifter, and he was just arrested for loitering at first. And then after his arrest, uh, no more church fires occurred. And then they started questioning him, and then he confessed to several church fires in Florida. Also, some church fires in Tennessee and Colorado. Apparently, he claimed that churches caused him to steal and commit crimes. So that's why he wanted to burn them. Investigators also learned that he had been sexually abused by a church member as a child. Wow. Okay. He was charged with 15 of the fires. However, in January of 93, he was found not guilty for reasons of insanity And then he was institutionalized for 15 years before being released in 2008. He basically blamed churches for all the things wrong in his life. That's crazy. He said that he was sexually abused by somebody in the church. This guy was fully let down by, like, something he was supposed to trust and stuff. Like, the the church and all that stuff. I I wonder if he was rehabilitated. It said he got out in 2008. It doesn't say that he's dead, and usually it would. Yeah. So the last case is treasure. Boom, 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 boom. We're going out. We're gonna find some treasure. Yeehaw! Uh, I actually don't mind. Usually, I don't. I'm not like a big fan of the treasure cases, but I like this one because we know that this amount of gold existed, exists, and is actually somewhere, right? Like, it's kind of... And is close by. I mean, to our relative area where we're actually recording this, this is not too far away from us. Yeah, I mean, it's probably, oh... A couple hundred miles. I mean, yeah, no, no, listen, that's about four hours hours probably away. Farmington, New Mexico, yeah, four or five hours maybe. Like, Farmington, New Mexico is not too far away from us. Treasure! I feel like this one's my favorite. Really? You like treasure? I just, I mean, it's the treasure, but I also kind of like nerded out on like all the information they were throwing at me. All the, yeah, I I mean, it's actual history and it's, because some of these, honestly, we've covered some of these treasure cases and it's like, they're theoretical. I just feel like it's close by. It's like, I've always grown up hiking in the mountains. I just feel like I could go out and claim this treasure for myself. So... Before we actually tell you guys about this case, I'm just going to go ahead and say in the 
10 minutes that it took us to refresh our drinks, Ryan has been able to triangulate through mathematical equations exactly where this treasure is. And once we're done recording this, we are going to Farmington, New Mexico and finding it. I just figured out how much all of this is worth. We're going to Uber. (laughs) We're going to Uber there because we've been drinking too much whiskeys. (laughs) <laughs> that, that i have been doing <laughs> so um no okay so this is sort of in our neck of the woods southwest it's definitely we're in el paso texas but we might as well be in the new mexico because it's the fucking desert it's about as southwest as you can get i feel like it's my backyard yeah it totally is um Just there was actually another treasure case that we covered that was like fucking white sands ish like alamogordo right right yeah, I forget which one it is because uh, it's White Sands and Alamogordo. So in, in 1933, we are introduced to Leon Trabuco. He's a Mexican millionaire. He's got lots of money, kids, and apparently he believed that he could use the Great Depression to fucking make a shit ton of cash. What he was gonna do is he was going to buy a bunch of gold in Mexico smuggle it into America and stash it in hopes that during the American Depression, the U.S. dollar would devaluate, thus increasing the value of gold, which what actually did happen. He did actually predict that. That is oh, wow. exactly what happened. Okay. That's that's the problem with an economy that's based on like a stock market or traded goods versus the gold standard. The price of or the value of your economy is based on how valuable your market is versus – a precious tangible metal. So apparently this it was Trabuco and four other men. These four dudes bought up most of Mexico's gold reserves to resell in the US when the prices, you know, when the shit hit the fan. But these guys weren't like buying gold like gold bullion. They were buying like anything gold. Yeah. Jewelry, watches. If it's gold plated and can be melted down and smelted. They bought it. After three months of doing their little thing of collecting everything they could possibly find, they had they came up with this this number sounds fucking insane. Sixteen tons of pure gold. Like even in what twenty nineteen, that sounds like some fucking like bogus that sounds like bogus numbers. Sixteen tons of gold. Okay, so I just kind of nerded out on this, right? So if you calculate sixteen tons of gold, even in today's standards and going back through everything, you're looking at one ton of gold is thirty two thousand ounces, right? Okay. So if you get one ton of gold and you have sixteen tons of gold, you're looking at five hundred and twelve thousand and sixty-four ounces, right? Of gold. Let's just that's that's a whole lot of just ounces in gold, right? So let's go ahead and put that in perspective. So you have in seventeen ninety-three, I'm gonna do a little bit of a history lesson with you guys, right? So seventeen ninety-three, you're gonna look at an Ounce, one ounce of gold is worth about $19, getting up to about $20, right? Damn. So if, for ni- 1793, that's Yeah, a, that's we're going back, right? We're going back cash. to the standard, right? So this is in 1793, you're looking at about, eh, about $20 worth of gold per ounce. And that's going to equate to, if you had that 16 tons of gold back in 1793, you're looking at about close to $10 million, right? Damn. So let's That's just, not bad. Yeah, I mean you're doing that's that's off the scale. So let's jump to 1884. Again, this is all estimates, this is all internet stuff, right? So 1884, you're only jumping to $20. So you've only jumped up less than a dollar per ounce of gold. Damn. Yeah. So again, that's like more than a hundred years later. Yeah. Again. So look, let's look at this time scale. So a hundred years later, we're only looking at less than a dollar per ounce. Again. Not, so this is 1884. Now we're looking at 1931, the exact same price per ounce. The price As per, the 1800s? Yeah, we're looking at a 100-year difference again, and there's oh, yeah. no Nin- difference. 1931, the spot price for gold was $17.06. An yeah, it's, ounce. it's differing per you know month and everything. But from 1884 to 1931, you're looking at no more than an a dollar per ounce difference from 1931 to 1933. You're looking at a huge $12 difference on that spot price. And again, it's just increasing over and over again. So what these guys are doing is between like 200 years, there's like no, no, 
difference. But yeah, then, exactly. Like, but then two years, there's, there's like a huge, huge jump. jump from. Okay. There's a huge increment from 200 years. There's nothing, and then all and of a sudden, when, on the spot, there's a huge jump. And this is when our buddy is still rocking, and he still has this money, right? What's his name? Uh, Trabuco. Exactly. So he's so he he has all this shit, and he pretty, so he gets to witness this like pretty much what he's saying come true, sort of. In certain yeah. ways. So what happened was in the 1930s, there was pretty much no difference from the 1700s, 1800s. There was no difference in the spot price for gold. But all of a sudden, 1933 happens. They start realizing that the spot price of gold is going to exp- exponentially increase. And then within a few years, the price goes from about $20 within 200 years to $32. So he predicted exactly what was going to happen in that time period. Damn. Baller. <laughs> now, and if it, anyone was to find this 16 tons of gold a day, it would be worth just shy of a billion dollars. <laughs> Pretty much. So if you were to find this gold ex- when they were looking at it, which was about 1930s, right? You were looking at about $16 million. It's not bad. Okay, even if somebody did find it today, right? Like it, it's not like like the guy who found the treasure would be able to catch that. Would, sorry, would be able to keep that. Yeah, I don't know how that works. Like we're introduced to an old leather-faced gen- gentleman by the name of Ed Foster, who has been looking for Trabuco's treasure in the desert for about thirty-five years. And we've talked about these treasure hunters, and they're they're <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're quite eccentric. They're eccentric. Eccentric. Yeah, eccentric. yeah, eccentric, eccentric. Whoa, <laughs> shit, we're all, we can't Dude, speak all, anymore. Yeah. We are wasted. Um, yeah, I love meeting these guys, these uh, treasure hunters that have spent their whole lives looking for something. But at least for Ed Foster, Forrester, Fo- at least for Ed Foster, we know that this exists. Wait, okay, do we know that this exists, though? Right, is that is that like, I feel like this has more, has way more of a hold in history, and I've, I don't know. As of... Right now, this instant of 512,000 ounces would be 922 512,000 ounces. I have, oh, wait. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah. The direct yeah, conversion of 16 yeah. tons to ounces is 512 ounces. Uh, anyway. Um, we are nerding out hard here, if guys. If you were to buy 16 tons of gold today, it would cost you... Nine hundred twenty-two million seven hundred and fifty-two thousand. Because this shit isn't just like this shit isn't just like it's not like they ain't making any more. So like Like, Elon Musk probably has sixteen tons of gold floating around somewhere. So with all this gold, he had to do something with it. And basically, what happens is um, they smuggle this into the U.S. And of course, all these dudes, him and four dudes, if they're caught, they're fucked. So Trabuco searches for a super safe place to hide all of his illegal treasure, and then they decide that it would be smarter to bury the gold, which is where, you know, a little prequel. Yeah, they bury it. So in the heat of the summer, he hires a pilot. They make several mysterious flights into the New Mexico desert. I love the way he says mysterious flights. It's cool. There's, like, people that saw this plane land a bunch of times and, you know, so this treasure guy thinks he knows where it is, but he's also been looking for 35 years. So you know how it goes. <laughs> Apparently, Trabuco cho- chooses a sparsely populated region um, near the Navajo Indian reservations in New Mexico. So 16 flights, a ton of gold each flight, you know, back and forth to bury this stuff all in the same place. And he never told anybody where any of this stuff was. He never even created a map. So the Gold Reserve Act of 34 passes and the price of gold soars uh, like you know we've been talking about. But also the Gold Act of 34 made private ownership of gold illegal. Like you I don't know how that works like you had to have it in a bank. You couldn't just have gold by yourself. That's illegal. I guess. So Trabuco was able was he wasn't able to like his scheme was fucked. Like he couldn't <laughs> sell this gold to anybody, right? So over the years, he's trying to fucking sell it. No, it doesn't work. He and his partners all die untimely deaths. And Trabuco took the location of the 16 tons of gold to his grave. And that's the fucking story. I feel like we can still find it. 
Yeah, I mean, but what? I mean, is it is it still illegal to privately own gold? I no, I, no, I it's like, not. It's just like I don't think have, so. If you have gold, smelt it. Fuck it. I mean, I'm I'm literally I'm looking at I'm looking at buying gold right now. I mean, honestly, what does it matter what the standards are? You just whatever it has, just smelt it and go sell it somewhere else. Silver's trading at seventeen dollars an ounce right now. Oh, gold's gold's pretty close to what it was like in 2012 right now. <laughs> so Ed Foster, this treasure hunter extraordinaire, this old man, leather-faced man, he he actually is convinced that he found the landing strip that they used in 1933 to fucking move all this gold, and he's super sure. He actually spoke to an old Native American lady. She was a Navajo woman who was like six years old in 33. And she recalled the plane coming back and forth, and Ed's convinced that uh, the gold is honestly. I feel like no shit. She is actually a legit source. Sounds sounds. I mean, like sounds legit. Not just because, like, oh, she's late. Like, like if you're living out in that desert, like you know the comings and goings of what's like. If she legit lived out there for twenty, thirty years, yeah, she fucking knows what's happening in that desert every day. And she said she also remembered these uh, Mexican men who lived on the reservation. Yeah, goddamn, there's fucking twenty neighbors around you. Yes, you know who's living around you. Yeah, of course. (laughs) When you're out in the middle of nothing, like if you could live, if if she legitimately lived there for twenty or thirty years, whatever this was, like you know who lived out there. And this is a, a weird thing that they mention is uh, uh, he also found an old Navajo home out there that's unlike any reservation in 20 miles of west of the Mesa. And they think that this was built by Mexicans. Okay, I'm not I'm not going to like built by Mexicans. I'm not going to refer to his like, you know, architectural skills. But yeah, the lady out there living out there for. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm going to refer to her. <laughs> yeah, she they, they they explained it as a Mexican style structure like it wouldn't have been something that the Native Americans would have made they said it had a back door and a veranda I don't know if that's... by his account yeah <laughs> yeah that's this is a a man who is very very ancient in 1991 I'm, I'm pretty sure the lady out there did not know what a veranda was yeah I'm pretty sure she was just like yeah it's a house maybe it might be a little different but he's just like Mexicans made it <laughs> and it's a little weird. <laughs> It got a little bit too technical at that point. But he does find this weird shrine that has a rock that has the date 1933 and six ton. <laughs> but that seems so fucking perfect. Like, it's like a weird scribble that says 1933 and then another scribble that says 16 T-O-N. And Ed believes that the gold could be hidden somewhere in the vicinity of okay, this shrine. But because it says the year 1933, and it says 16 tons. It's like, hey, gold's here. Like, oh, my God. Uh, that's okay, too it's, perfect. It's, it, it really is. Either it's exactly what he's looking for, and they need to carbon date it, or it's just bullshit. <laughs> or he was out there drunk one night at Forrester, yeah, exactly. and he just really wanted to believe what he's been looking for exactly. for 35 years is real. Carbon date it, or it's... Treasure hunter Norman Scott believes that... the. Uh, Trabuco's treasure does have an air of authenticity, and I think it does too, more than some of the other ones. I want to find it. He also believes that with technology, it's only a matter of time before it is discovered. <sighs> yep. Sorry to just uh, rip the Band-Aid off you guys, as if you guys are waiting on the edge of your seat, but this treasure has never been found. This case is still unsolved. I'm sorry, guys. But don't oh. worry. I'm on it. Some <laughs> random info for you guys. If anyone's interested in uh, how many one kilo gold bars that would be, it would be 20,000. Jesus. It's just, it's too much gold. I can only picture it in huge, yeah, in gold ingots. Fucking ridiculous. I just want to make a bathroom out of it. Just, oh, just, I just want to make a toilet. That's what I'm saying. But not just that, because they already have that. Like, I want the toilet and I want, like, the walls, the bathtub, the sink. You know, I just want it all. If I found that much gold, yeah, hell yeah. I don't know if something I really would need made of gold. You don't need that much gold. That's the point. You just you make just it ridiculous. It. You just do something. You find I'm that sure much gold. I'm sure there's something. You shit on it. That's the point. Mm. Yeah. I think I'd want a statue of Scooby-Doo <laughs> made of pure gold. And I could just say, hey, Scoob, whenever I want it. You don't need that. You don't. No, no you don't. No need person that. needs that much gold. That's the point. Um, maybe Batman. Some Warner Brothers character. I'm sick of Disney. <laughs> anyway, 
So, <laughs> thanks so much for hanging out with us, guys. For us, we've been recording this episode for 15 hours. So it should only be an hour or so for you, but uh, thanks for hanging out. I am David Howell, joined always by Rodan and my lovely guest, Ryan Lee Gooding. What's up, motherfucker? I've had a good time. I don't know why I said what's up. Like, we're starting the episode and not ending it. Um, the whiskey has done its job. But thanks for hanging out. It's been a good time. I'm glad you guys had me on. Uh, we're the Stack Pack on Twitter and Instagram. Also, hit us up on Anchor. You can actually leave us voicemails if you want. You can directly leave us money, donate money to us. So, for every mystery, there is someone somewhere who knows the truth. Perhaps that someone is listening. And perhaps, well, perhaps that someone is you. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Cheers.